this morning also i like to give a little bit of encouragement in the path uh, all the topics of our talks or dhamma is just encouragement along the path uh, some time ago i was teaching uh, somewhere and uh, there was few of the teachers and they all want to know what i'm going to talk on so i said i'm going to talk on uh, encouragement on along the path so the second time they asked me what the second talk what is going to be <laughs> <laughs> i said encouragement along the path <laughs> so they were not happy they said no you have to tell us then i have we can be ready with our talk again i said i don't know i said uh, okay then say enlightenment along the path part 2 <laughs> so the way buddha taught was buddha didn't have any plans nature doesn't have any plan we out of our confusion creates plans because we think we can control things the tree in the woods doesn't have a plan nature happens you just accept the nature so when buddha met somebody usually he asks how you are doing so with that question the person goes within and try to understand the state we are in usually we are not really understanding what we are in we are just suffering nobody really ask you how are you doing we don't ask ourselves how are you doing truly asking that question of course superficially we say how are you la world is so superficial now we don't mean things when i first went to australia i was uh, year, uh, out of sri lanka when i was uh, 16 17 and the first day i i was in sydney and uh, had a long journey going there and uh, got out of the house and started walking uh, in sydney and when i was walking there was a guy who came and greeted me uh, a man who was going to the office and he says uh, something like uh, how are you doing or greeted me like good day or something good eye they say good eye so something like that he greeted me i was so happy and i stopped to greet him and he's gone <laughs> is far away and so <laughs> in at that time in sri lanka if somebody greets you you stop and you greet back and it takes time doesn't it i don't for me to it takes a long time to feel really what the person is saying and so often we live in a in the like a surface superficial 
So often we do not go deep and we have never, we even with partners, after many years in marriage, many, many years in relationships, the relationship becomes very superficial. Sometimes it comes to an extent where the person is in front of you and you don't hear the person, you don't feel the person. You are having breakfast together and you are reading the paper. The person doesn't exist at all. <laughs> you know, you don't feel the person. You don't feel the energy you are reading. And the person is asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes, right. You know, you don't have that. We lose that. So it's very important to have this connection with ourselves first. Why we are disconnected with us. Not we are a bad guy, then we are not thinking about others. It's just that we are disconnected. And we fill up, fill this ourselves with all sorts of things. Stories, beliefs, ideas, principles. We fill ourselves up. I am a person like that. And also, when we come to spirituality, we fill up with spiritual junk. That's what we do. Spiritual ego. So whatever comes along, we just grab at it and put it in. New book, you read it. How many books have you read? So I can tell you something. I have never read a book in my life, never read a Dhamma book. This is the truth. My children know it. My friends know it. I don't read it, any Dhamma book. If I refer to something, I only refer to the Tipitaka. Directly Buddha's uh, teachings. Buddha's discourses. Because I feel, when I read something else, it gets... Uh, my true experience gets diluted by the other ideas. I'm not asking you not to read books. That's not what I'm saying here. But be aware of what you put in, into you. Don't just put everything, then it becomes like another craze. Just putting stuff in, 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 in. And finally you're filled with everything and we know that we are empty. We know that it's borrowed. Today, everything is, we just pick things up from here, there, here, there. We pick up things. And our, when you take, now this singing bowl is made out of one solid metal. But if you just pick pieces of metal and fix it and make a singing bowl, when you hit, the sound becomes not very nice because it's not one it's just pieces so our experience our depth in Dhamma the knowledge becomes bad sound but if you have direct knowledge keep things simple in your practice then the sound becomes very beautiful so not to have the spiritual 
ego, spiritual craziness. Not to bring what we have done to the world into our spiritual life also. Not to do that. So letting go is the key for this. Why do we do this? Because there's desire, wanting, wanting, wanting. Because I want. Remember I told the story, did I tell that story about the German girl? She said, I want, because I want. <coughs> That's the root of all problem. Because I want. So learning this art of letting go, renunciation, is the key for enlightenment. Because our minds, look at the nature of our minds. What we do in sitting in this retreat, in meditation, is to observe the nature of our minds. The nature of our mind, what is the nature of our mind? The nature of our mind is to wander. An object arises, mind arises with the object. Object passes away, mind passes away with the object. Mind cannot arise. Mind is not a, of course I have to tell you here, those of you believe that there is a permanent eternal entity called mind, doesn't exist. Right? Mind arises in a moment, mind passes away in a moment. So, if I hear a bird, the bird mind arose in me. You follow that? The bird mind came, bird mind went. Did you hear the bell? Did you hear anyone bell? Did you hear the bell? No, we didn't hear the bell. Why? Because I didn't ring the bell. Right? So, <laughs> why? Bell mind cannot arise without the object. See? Bell mind, the mind didn't arise because the object of sound didn't arise. So, whatever we try to do, However we try to control out of our confusion and delusion, we cannot create a mind. Now try not to hear the bell. <laughs> bell mind arises and with that we get the experience. So are we in control of our minds? We are not in control of our minds. So that thinking that we can control is what brings us suffering. This constant control, control, control. So we have become control freaks. We are very good at this. Controlling ourselves and controlling others' lives. <laughs> And poor people, I mean, they suffer so much because of our country. When we have a, a power, like if you are a father, if you are a boss, if you are a husband, if you are a wife, we control. We think this, to save this relationship is to control, do the right thing. No, it has its own pattern. The trees, 
nothing in nature controls anything. Only this us, humans, try to control. The birds don't try to control anything. These things happen. They, they are in harmony with nature. So, we have to be like the bamboo tree. The bamboo tree when the nature comes and gives a huge problem like a tornado, like a huge pressure, like a big wind, a tsunami, whatever happens, the bamboo tree goes down. Okay. It's okay. Go ahead. It goes down, no problem, right? And then when this tornado goes, it comes back to its nature. And the big oak trees, heavy oak trees, what happens? They get uprooted totally because they try to stand the this thing. So we have to be like the bamboo tree in practice and in everyday life because we have the we have the confidence we we don't have disharmony we don't think that we are separate from the nature we are part of the nature Carl Sagan said it was we are all made out of stardust how else where else did we come from and when we die, what happens? We go back to the elemental nature. Can you stop that? Can we stop? Can I stop with all my knowledge, intellect, culture, everything? Can I stop me becoming part of the earth when I die? die? This body goes back to the elements. The four elements. The air. Because why? This is made out of the four elements. When we breathe in, what do we breathe in? Air. Breathe in. Now that what I have breath, breathed in, that's number one in there. Okay? That's myself, I believe. And then I let go. Number one went up. <laughs> Isn't that so? Everything in there, if I believe, is me. That air is also me. There is air inside our bones. If you look at it from an electron microscope, you can see all these holes. Air inside. Are we clinging to that air as well? So everything is like that, made out of this hardness, softness. Fluidity, water, heat. But this creation of a self is what gives us suffering, nothing else. So what happens in practice of meditation, you come, you come to settle, you come to settle, become part of the nature, which is who you are, and that is the luminosity. Nature of the mind is to wander. We can't stop that. 
lot of yogis all over the world they come and say uh they think that they are doing something wrong and say come and say ah uh, my mind wanders a lot <laughs> of course your mind wanders my mind also wanders <laughs> eh what we need to understand is to let go of that self notion which creates the struggle which creates the struggle to become something who we are not nature of the mind is to wander buddha said durangamang ekacharang asariram guhasyang the nature of the mind is to travel far doesn't it travel far have you been to switzerland you know it's very beautiful the mountains and lakes it's one of the nicest places now when i talk that you all went to switzerland <laughs> didn't you a picture of switzerland came you didn't need visa <laughs> you didn't need to change travel ex- money exchange nothing just goes just imagine what if all these rules and regulations in the world suddenly ends stops no culture nothing no uh, check in in the airport absolutely nothing you can do whatever you want what will the world be like i think it will be in chaos if suddenly everything there's nothing no countries nothing you can do whatever you want when things like that happen people go and loot have you seen that in films and all i've seen it in american films they show this suddenly something happens people go and take television sets and they, <laughs> <laughs> it's chaos now mind doesn't have rules like that so our mind is like that all the time mind is in a chaos chaos state because mind doesn't have rules regulations it can go anywhere it wants it can stop any time it can do the most noble thing it can do the most dirtiest thing it can do the most kindest thing it can do the most cruelest thing because that is the nature of an unguarded mind when there's no guard mind is like that the nature of the mind is to travel far and wide we cannot travel far and wide like that the furthest we have i've been going uh, in this uh, whole week is going to the teachers cottage and coming up here that's all but the mind travels far and wide so that's the nature of the mind one one quality of the mind is that ekacharang the nature another nature of the mind is to it's isolated alone we spend so much of time to get out of this aloneness which we think happiness is there when we unite remember happiness is not there when you unite there's only thrill 
excitement, not happiness. What happens is when you unite, there is friction. Buddha said in one place, it is to be with, uh, be alone, it's like to live in heaven, uh, in Brahma realm, the greatest realm, uh, the pleasurous realm, the Brahma realm, to be alone. Remember, lonely is another one. Lonely is, you know, I'm sad, I don't have anybody. That's, that's loneliness, okay? Aloneness is a good one. That's a positive mental state. So, aloneness gives its blissful state. When you live with two people, Buddha said, it's like living in the human realm. Human realm is mixed with pleasure and pain. And if you live with more than two people, it's like living in hell realms. <laughs> I like that <laughs> very much. It's true. You have, you can talk with a friend and you put the third one in. There's always chaos because that one wants to fit in somehow, you know, into that. <laughs> and then there's chaos. So, mind is, I said, although we have the best companion, best lover, best partner, our mind is alone. We can't mix the two minds together. We can talk, we can exchange ideas, we can f look at the same thing at the same time, but we can never unite. The mind cannot unite. Mind doesn't have, mind has that oneness nature. So that's another quality of the mind. All right? So the closest union may be the sexual union uh, when you make love. But even then, you know that you think something else, the other person thinks something else. The mind works separately. And this can be uh, very obvious sometimes. So, there's no body to the mind. Mind doesn't have this physical body. Mind is free from that. Physical body is very uh, has its limitations. Now I am not well today. So I have this. So it's a limitation. Mind doesn't have limitations like that. Physical body, I have to carry up these stairs. To come here. Mind doesn't have limitations like that. So, it doesn't have a body, asarirang, and it is hidden. The mind is hidden. So, that's a salvation we have. If suddenly everybody can see our minds, it won't be, it'll be a, the biggest trauma we have in our life. <laughs> so, we are try, trying to hide all the time with everything we try to hide and bring out a better image all the time. This is what we do. Because we have this nature of hiddenness. So the state of the mind often, uncontrolled mind, is chaos. So a lot of us have, um, this is why I thought of talking about this today, 
lot of us have this problem of the mind of wandering mind mind controlling uh, you your thinking so much that it makes you unhappy sad miserable and weak it's a very difficult thing to control this mind to to tame this mind not control to tame this mind it's very difficult would the compare this mind to a wild elephant wild elephant not the elephants you see in the circus <laughs> they are very nice cute but wild elephants are very dangerous if a wild elephant comes we will be we run whether we know or not what elephant is that energy that sound the whole uh, building will shake so we will run it's scary so wild elephant does not come and come up the pathway wait till the gate opens <laughs> you know and take the right turn and uh, and uh, not go near the fire <laughs> fire parking area it just goes straight it comes straight through the hall it just goes straight our mind is also like that if we want something we just go straight and there's destruction all over and then we try to give excuses oh. <laughs> this happened because of this this is because of this right and keep on excusing and the wild elephant runs <laughs> that's the nature of our minds you know that was the nature of buddha says that was the nature of my mind that's what i love about buddha you know he didn't pretend to be someone who he is not he said my mind was like a wild elephant but ಕಾಮಸುಗಾಹೋ just like the mahut mahut is the one who controls elephant so elephant uh, like a cattle herd so just just like the mahut controls this wild elephant and tames this wild elephant i have tamed this wild elephant of the mind what with what does this mahut controls this wild elephant have you have you seen you have seen in circus everywhere they have a hook have you seen that hook little hook not but this big not elephant is huge but the elephant is terrified of this hook <laughs> <laughs> because these guys know exactly to poke to the right places where the elephant thinks oh if it, this hurts the whole body 
but it's only few places if elephant knew that he would move but he doesn't know that so with this hook with careful carefully with shrewdness this man controls his wild elephant and what happens thereafter you can use the wild elephant to do lot of valuable things where you couldn't have done otherwise possible it's impossible to lift huge tree trunks it's impossible to carry lot of weight it's impossible to do that at that time but they use it with this hook so what is this hook the hook of mindfulness the hook of with this hook of mindfulness buddha says i have now tamed this wild elephant what you need to do is to tame our minds in practice that's what happens that's what we see when you practice for a long period of time 10 years 20 years there is a sort of taming we could see people like how long they have practiced because of the nature of the mind so each each time you practice this taming happens <coughs> you may have seen the the how the mind get deceived by things even in this retreat in a retreat situation if you are not careful mind controls you sometimes what happens is uh, some of you might have gone through this that uh, that you want to leave the retreat the thought comes sometimes yeah? i want to leave the retreat so some yogis very few occasionally leave the retreat and it's just a thought in the mind that led to that decision all the things that we have done in our life started with just a thought if you are married and you have children and you have grandchildren <laughs> and they have their grandchildren it all started with a thought <laughs> one thought maybe that thought led to a word like i do <laughs> and everything continues thereafter it's just a thought So you get out get caught to these thoughts over and over and over again when i was 18 years old i did a retreat uh, i was the youngest in the retreat at that time young people don't come in uh, 80s and all so i had to sit with this young energy youthful energy i just couldn't sit each time i sit i jump up i want to jump up get up go because i have i had this youth youthful energy and this was in australia very strict retreat um, from morning till night what uh, hour walking what hour sitting back to back till late night um, 
a very serious retreat. And uh, prior to the retreat, I was in Sydney and uh, in Sydney there is a place, I don't know whether you have been to Sydney, there's, uh, from the place I stayed, there's a place called Bondi Junction and there I used to go and I found this place where they give you pizza. So there was this small uh, uh, pizza shop and there was an Italian man and his wife. So the man and the wife, uh, one is cleaning the place up and the other one is cooking. And then there was the daughter also helps out sometimes. She comes and serves. And I have never eaten a pizza in my life. In Sri Lanka, there was no pizza. They don't even have cheese in Sri Lanka at that time. So, cheese, once in a way, occasionally we get a piece of cheese like this, very small. So, it's very, very, uh, Sri Lanka is a very vegan type, it's a coconut milk and so there's no cheese. And this was, the, when I ate this, this was the most delicious thing I have eaten in my life. And the cheese and melting and you know smell and of first pizza I ever had, and this had a very strong imprint in my mind. I got attached to that. I want every day I wanted to go and have a pizza, <laughs> right? So uh, I go there, have pizza, and uh, I uh, like that environment, uh, that small pizza place. And then I go to the retreat after that. I go to the retreat. After about three weeks, four weeks into the retreat, it was a six weeks retreat, about halfway through, I was meditating very nicely. And there comes this thought, pizza. <laughs> very gentle. Very innocent thought. <laughs> it just came, pizza. And then I thought, oh, this is just a pizza thought. I am so strong, I've been meditating for some time. This is a pizza thought. I can just entertain it a little. So, what I did was, I just watched the pizza, enjoy the pizza thought. I smell the smell, the taste, you know. I'm meditating. And pizza thought, meditating pizza. <laughs> and then it became so, I got so caught up with this. It became such a thing in the mind. I was eager to go and sit in meditation to think about pizza. <laughs> so I go and sit and think about pizza. <laughs> and I it started to develop now and I started to uh, have relationship with those people, the pizza, the, the, fa the father, the mother and I started to create desire to the daughter. Oh, as if that I love her and all these things come up now, just because of a pizza. <laughs> right? 
and then i feel that this father is so com- uh, like a he treats me like a son and mother is like mother to me and every day i eat pizza so <laughs> <laughs> so it is going on it's so stupid so silly <laughs> now looking back at that but it is so real to me at that time then what happened it went to such an extent the retreat became horrible i was fighting with everything but i don't know it's the pizza that's uh, the desire that keeps me away from it i was thinking you know the food was wrong the uh, you know the sleeping environment is wrong the schedule is wrong the teacher is wrong the teaching is wrong everything was wrong to me because of this desire desire of pizza so there was a friend of mine who brought me into this retreat and she suddenly had to go back home because uh, the husband was ill or something like that she wrote me a letter number one uh, i had to suddenly go to sydney don't worry i'll be coming back to pick you up in uh, in a week's time so uh, we got two weeks time so just continue your practice don't let this disturb you i thought this is my chance <laughs> <laughs> now i wanted to leave this place this was like a present to me so i immediately wrote a thing i am also coming i have something important to do <laughs> <laughs> and then i got onto the car with her and it was late in the, it was getting late in the night and i just wanted pizza now pizza 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 Uh, so i said uh, let's stop somewhere where there's pizza i, I was i am i'm so desperate i don't want the best pizza even the worst pizza i don't mind i just want to have pizza and then what happened was there was some neon light saying pizza somewhere on the right side of the road i ran in stopped the car and ran in <coughs> ordered the pizza and had a coke and ate and after i ate it i felt so empty <laughs> i i felt so lost so cheated right so cheated so that's what the mind does we feel cheated we cheat ourselves this is the nature of desire there's no after eating that pizza there was no like pizza bliss <laughs> you are the left with full or unhappy or you know and nothing like that that's a nature of sensual pleasure that's a, that's what the mind does to us so we need to control this mind not control again we need to tame this mind remember letting go you don't need you don't have to let go of everything you open certain books it says dhamma meditation is art of letting go some book says meditation is to develop isn't that so haven't you come across these two some says meditation is to develop some says meditation is to let go which is right which one is right Haven't you thought this? You read books. You don't think about this. 
right? So letting go is one. Is letting go meditation or developing meditation? Bhavana is what meditation is in Pali. Bhavana is to develop. And you have to let go in meditation. So there are certain things to develop, certain things to let go. So a lot of people make this confusion. People think, yogis think, you have to let go of everything. Let go, let go, let go. Let go of Dhamma, let go of Buddha, let go of teaching, let go of everything. If you let go like that, you are, you have nothing. So this practice is like similar to climbing a ladder. So when you climb a ladder, how do you climb a ladder? You hold on to a rung of a ladder, uh, of the ladder, with lot of grip, with earnestness, with effort. You hold on to the rung of a ladder, and then you hold on to another rung of a ladder, and then you have to let go. Of this one that you held on, you have to let go. So often we don't want to let go of this. This is what I learned, this is from my teacher, this is from the book I read, this is, uh, I feel so intelligent by with this. So, <laughs> so we hold on to this. And then what happens, we get stuck in the practice. We get stuck. So you must know the art of you know, letting go, grasping, letting go, like that. That's the way to practice. You can't immediately let go of everything. You have to develop confidence in the Buddha. You have to develop sadha. You have to develop virya, effort. You have to develop mindfulness. You have to develop uh, uh, concentration. You have to develop all these factors and panya, wisdom. But at one point you have to let go of them. There's a nice story at the time of the Buddha. Uh, Buddha was in front of a lot of monks. Buddha turned to Venerable Sariputta. Venerable Sariputta was uh, the right-hand man. He was the he was just like the Buddha. He was is a great greatest arahanta we have in Buddha's asana. The uh, only his teachings are there, other than the Buddha's teachings in the Tipitaka. So he's a great person, and he has so much uh, trust and confidence in the Buddha. So in front of a lot of people, Buddha asked from Venerable Sariputta, uh, Sariputta, do you have confidence in the Buddha? Then Venerable Sariputta said. No confidence, <laughs> no sadha. Then all the unenlightened bhikkhus people started talking. Oh, he said no confidence, Buddha. It's <laughs> <laughs> happening, you know. I you know, is the is it going to divide now? The sasana is going to divide. Let's. I will take this side, but I which side are you going to take? So people <laughs> talking like that. But the enlightened beings, they just. They knew what was going on. 
Because when you get fully enlightened, you have to even let go of the confidence you have towards the Buddha, Buddha, Dhamma. But not right now. Not right now. If you let go of that now, <laughs> that's the end. Sometimes you people see like that. We pretend. We think, oh, I have let go of everything. No, you have to develop certain things. We have to develop certain things in order to let go later on. Renunciation is also like that. Many years ago, uh, my teacher Bhantiji was uh, uh, teaching somewhere and there was this woman who came and uh, she said, she, was, uh, she came with a guy And she said, uh, <coughs> Bhante, I have renounced everything. I have renounced my husband. I have renounced my children. I have renounced my house. I have renounced everything. And I'm just now uh, traveling in a very small car with this my friend. And I'm so free and I'm so renounced. So Bhanteji asked, if you have renounced, what are you doing hanging around with this man? <laughs> you are renounced, but you are with a, with a friend. So this is how superficially we take renunciation. We think, we think this is the way to renounce. Renunciation is a thought. We make this mistake, we think we have to renounce everything. Give everything like, you know, you don't have everything. You can have a lot, but you can be renounced. Because renunciation is a thought. It happens in the mind. Then a person can have nothing at all, but the not renounced in the mind. So much desire for things. So much of daydreams. So much of fantasies. So that is not the renunciation. Renunciation is in the mind. Where does the renunciation come in? the core teachings of the Buddha in the Eightfold Path and the right thought. Nekkamma Sankappa The thought of renunciation. Remember these three things I think I told you the other day. There are three, three types of uh, thoughts that we have to develop constantly. Nekkamma Sankappa Thought of renunciation. Avyapadha Sankappa Thought of non-hate within brackets metta and avihinsa sankapa thought of compassion not cruelty being kind towards all beings so these are the right thoughts that we need to develop all the time when the opposite arises try to bring up these right thoughts when the opposite arises replace them with this So, thought of renunciation, how to develop the thought of renunciation, how to practice the thought of renunciation, happens with our daily practices. 
constantly we are why we can't renounce is we are so tight we hold on to things so tightly we have this nature if something comes our way we hold it and squeeze it tightly so we hold to money like this we hold to power we hold to relationships we, we hold so tightly and as it chokes the object the person it chokes us this tightness so we need to let go of this tightness we need to let go of that now that process of releasing happens with the practice of dana so dana is not a thing that you hear at the end of the retreat by the manager so that you know how much to give for the teacher and the place <laughs> that's what has been that's the practice in the in the we have what we have heard is that dana is okay dana talk you know not that the very important thing do not limit that to teacher donation i don't i don't call in my retreats in nirodha retreats i don't call teacher dana i call it teacher donation because dana is a very important factor in your enlightenment donation for the establishment but dana is that ability constantly you develop of freeing yourself of this this thing. it can it's not only monetary it's this buddha said sabbadanang dhammadanang jinati out of all danas what is the highest dana this dhammadana giving the dhamma because that's a place where you go to the highest bliss with that that's that uncountable giving is the highest giving giving of dhamma so people are even there's something called guru mushti the teachers some teachers keep certain things maybe to teach later right <laughs> guru mushti or give it to my special student <laughs> not everybody so they have agenda so this is called guru mushti in ancient land. buddha didn't have a guru mushti that's the difference in buddha and other teachers at that time buddha had open hands whatever comes he gives 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 without any scheduling so dana therefore is something that you need to practice like your meditation dana is a practice you can't limit dana to writing a check dana because dana leads to a quality called chaga when you keep on doing dana you have this constantly you want to give want to give let go let go munindra ji was an embodiment of that he didn't have any bank account no money but he had everything he can give you things more than i can give you 
because people knew that he loved to give things. So people bring him big bag of chocolates. <laughs> Yogis bring big bag of chocolates, big bag of toffees, something. So he's filled with these things. I mean, you come in, ah, come, 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 come. <laughs> he goes in, he, this, you like this. You like this. And he gives you that. It brings you to that beautiful childlike nature that we all have. That's what we resonate with. Not this other thing that we always go with, uh, you know, good eye, how are you doing? You know? Not that. <laughs> That's not who we are. So, he developed this chaga of letting go, and that chaga leads to renunciation. It helps the thought of renunciation to let go of everything. No pizza will control you thereafter. <laughs> Nothing can control because your mind is so strong with that. I'm just taking a little time. I know I'm. I should finish by now, but maybe I should tell you one more thing. Dana has to be given, not by thinking, planning, manipulating, analyzing. It has to be a spontaneous giving. That is the highest, spontaneous. Munindraji doesn't think, oh, this person uh, I like better than the other person, so I give a bigger chocolate. <laughs> no, it just gives, spontaneous. You don't need to think whether this giving will affect that, this or the other. It just gives. What, the, what happens with that gift is not your control anyway. You give something, that gift can go to anything. That you can't control the world. But what you can control is this joy of giving. So, in Abhidhamma, it says you have to give with the the right thought to give is so manasa sagata jnana sampyutta asankarika eka chitta. So, a thought accompanied with pleasure, wisdom, jnana sampyutta, unprompted, with pleasantness. That in that thought you have to give. Then it becomes a wholesome, the right, that is the formula for the right thought of giving. I'll end this talk with a story at, which happened, which explains this at the time of the Buddha. At the time of the Buddha, there was a, there was a, a couple. Uh, they were known as the Ekasatakas. At the time of the Buddha, there was, uh, people used to wear Men used to wear something for the lower body. Upper body was bare. And we females also wore the same, but for the to cover their breasts, they wore something like a strapless bra. When they go to a place of worship, 
both man and the woman just to out of respect for the uh, audience out of respect to the teachings out of the respect to the buildings and culture they put a shawl just to cover the upper body just to cover the upper body both man and woman it's a it's a cultural thing that you you never go bare bodied inside and uh, to, to an audience so you cover yourself so these people are so poor this is a old gentleman senior citizen very old and both of them in their old age uh, they were so poor they didn't have even a place to stay they were like a, they had a little bit of a sh- shed out uh, under a tree but their lives was filled with bliss the happiest thing they do in their life was to listen to the dhamma but they have they had one problem they didn't they were so poor they didn't have they couldn't afford a shawl so because they couldn't afford a shawl they had one shawl and they took it in turns to go and listen to buddha's teaching so one day the husband asked the shawl that this is the greatest position they have because this this the the joy of dhamma listening to the dhamma happens because of this shawl so one day the man takes the shawl he puts the shawl and he goes to the uh, audience and listen sit down and listen to the buddha giving a dhamma talk and he listens very uh, with lot of sadda with lot of confidence and then he comes home and the wife is waiting uh, for him to come and the wife runs towards him and says tell me tell me what did the buddha say and he says oh, wait a minute wait a minute let me have a glass of water or a little bit of water and then let me uh, put this shawl uh, in safe place so they fold the shawl put it up and then he sits down and the wife sits in front of him and then he explains the whole of the dhamma and the wife listens to the dhamma with so much of joy this was their life they enjoyed the next day wife goes with the shawl listen to the dhamma she is coming and then the husband runs like a little boy what did buddha say what did buddha say then <laughs> wife says wait a minute let me have a glass of water let me sit down so wife sits down husband listens and he explains to them so this was their life one day mr ekasartaka the guy he goes into the hall and he sits uh, somewhere in the middle the back uh, in at the time of the buddha everybody sit in one place right not like today uh, in america uh, today we have retreats for different 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 type of people there everybody comes it was so diverse at that time uh, the society way diverse than today but in the dhamma everyone is the same so kings queens intellectuals rich businessmen poor people like it ekasataka then uh, depressed class everybody was all sitting and listening to the dhamma and ekasat at that day buddha was giving a talk on generosity and letting go so ekasataka listened to this and he at one point 
suddenly this generosity, this chaga arose in him. What did arise? Sumanasa Sagat Jnana Sampyuta Sankarika Chitta. The mind accompanied with joy, with wisdom, unprompted. He just want to give. So he thought, I want to give something, I want to give something to the Buddha. But what then he thought, what can I give? I don't have anything. I'm so poor. And Buddha has so many rich uh, kings and queens. So he got deflated. But this thought again came up. It again said, no, I want to give something. Then he thought, what can I give? We don't have anything. Only possession we have is this shawl. Then he said, I'm going to give the shawl to the Buddha. Then he said, oh no, if I give the shawl, my wife would not be able to listen to the Dhamma and her life is going to be in suffering and she will be so sad, I can't give it. But the nature of this is coming up like a wave, this wanting to give, wanting to let go. Kept on coming, kept on coming and finally it was like a battle in his mind. Give, not give, give, not give, give, not give. Finally, he stood up in the crowd, held the shawl in his hand and he said, I won, I won. And when he shouted, everybody turned towards him and King Pasenadi of Kosala was sitting in front seat. Politicians get excited when somebody says, I won, I won. <laughs> so so he, he ran to this man with his sword and he said, tell me, what did you win? <laughs> then he said, oh king, don't worry. I didn't win your kingdom, but I want something far greater than that far greater than my kingdom. What is that? Then he said, I won over my greed. I won over my greed. So the king started to think, you know, these people are so poor, you know, you can't imagine how poor they are. But their heart is so rich. And the king thought, you know, I have all the wealth in this land. And my heart is not like that. And uh, the story so goes on to say that they were given a house and many shawls. <laughs> so they were able to, both together were able to go and listen to the Dhamma thereafter. So we have these beautiful things in us. Don't let ideas and what people say stop that. The most beautiful thing is in you, not out there, not out in the world. So don't depend on other things, on television, on people, on society. Everything is here. All right? So, if you feel something is right, you will have that sense, this is the right thing to do. Trust in that. To trust in that sense, and you will be coming to the right place. If you do everything correctly in that way, you will end up nowhere else but by the foothills of Nibbana. That's where you will end up.
All right, thank you. So that's enough for this morning, I think. Encouragement of for encouragement for the path.